the terrain is obviously different. You know, my kennel name, uh, Briar Woods, um, when I was breeding in the German club, uh, they, they request for you to send in, you know, some options for your kennel name and whatnot. And of course, where I live at is nothing but jungle-like terrain. You know, if you've got some older growth forest that's not as thick and nasty and so forth, you're lucky. But everything here is just very thick and everything has thorns. So my kennel name is, you know, from the briar woods. That Von Den Briar Woods means from the briar woods. Right. Because everything here is it's just, it's like a jungle. It's like I live in Cambodia, but I'm in North Carolina. Right. <laughs> it's, it's brutal. Yeah. Uh, my name is Chris Phillips. Um, Currently, I import and breed uh, European bred German short hairs, European bred German wire hairs, and the York Terrier, uh, also from Europe. I have handled and owned and kept everything from beagles to cur dogs to pointing spaniels. Uh, you know, pointing breeds, um, setters, etc. I've run, I've run the gamut of hunting dogs. Um, I started out in diapers with hunting dogs. Um, growing up here in eastern North Carolina, uh, it was much more rural um, and more country than it is now because of you know progress and development and so forth. Um, and everybody here hunted with some kind of dog and. Um, my grandmother likes to tell everybody the story of my first my first words were boo-boo <laughs> and boo-boo was the name of my dad's squirrel dog and so from the time i could sputter you know some words out i was involved or tied to hunting dogs mm -hmm. And, uh, as, of course, as I grew up and got older, I had my own personal dogs that, you know, were my responsibility. Kind of, that's, that's how you learn the lesson out in the country. You know, you, your mom and daddy didn't just buy you a dog and just, they did all the work. Like it was your dog, you feed it, you clean up behind it and so forth. And so, you know, I, I had retrievers. Um, I had working golden retrievers when you could actually find golden retrievers that still worked that were not house pets. Uh, had Labradors, had Chesapeake's, and of course me and some buddies had some rabbit dogs uh, when we were in high school, college age. And about the time I was uh, around, I don't know, 21, 22, somewhere in my early 20s, I got my first um, German bred dog. Uh, I got my first Drahar, first German club, German wire hair. And from that point on, it, I just never looked back. Uh, now, I do have some American dogs on my yard. I've got various breeds of hounds that I use for bear hunting, and I've just recently gotten back into the tree and cur dogs. I've got some uh, Kimmer curs out of East Tennessee that I'm planning on turning into bear dogs, hopefully. And I've got some mountain curs out of Wyoming uh, from a man who specializes in big game mainly mountain lions and i'm hoping to turn them into bear dogs um i'm going to try and experiment going to try to make 
make cur dogs into bear dogs without the use of hounds. Um, and of course, like I said, I've got my, my European dogs, my wire hairs, my short hairs, and my yacht terriers. And I've been messing with the European dogs, like I said, for well half my life. I'm in, I'm in my mid forties now. And, um, I've, I've tested and bred within the German system. Um, I'm also now, uh, in the Nobda club, I, I w- resigned from the German club and went over to Nobda and, uh, I breed in the Nobda club and the Nobda, what that stands for is the North American versatile hunting dog association. And, uh, they try, they, it's, it's a very similar system to the German system. And the, the difference is, is Navda does not restrict a person's breedings and what they want to breed or what they deem they like that they want to breed. And in the German system, all the German clubs for the different breeds, for the Weimaraner and, and the DK and the DD and so forth, they have restrictions on what's allowed to be bred, whether it be via you know, disqualifying faults from physical issues or whether the dog just does not meet performance standards. And so there's a little bit of difference there. Um, and I prefer uh, select European blood. Uh, not everything I buy from over there I like. So because I've done this for so long, I've made a bunch of connections over there. And I have... Um, certain types that I like. I like a rougher dog, a more robust dog. Um, A lot of these dogs now, especially the American ones, the AKC, UKC dogs and so forth, a lot of them are not what they once were. And obviously this deviation from what the standard actually was when it was created over time. So a lot of the people that have these dogs are mostly bird hunters some waterfowl hunters and the occasional guy here or there to hunt some small game rabbits and so forth but for the most part in general most of these folks are not utilizing these dogs like i do everything from the dove field labor day weekend which we just had all the way to the bear woods and every piece of game in between dove birds and bears my dogs see so you know, we, we beat the bushes hard. We hunt everything. Um, you know, I just, that's just, that's who I am. Uh, I go back and forth to Europe, uh, and hunt and see dogs and, and, you know, select dogs and so forth. But that's the gist of my operation is I'm breeding a type of hunting dog for a select hunter that wants the horsepower and the aggression, et cetera. That is not just looking a bird dog. Well, the, the training business and the breeding business is an extremely rough business to breed, breed to, to be in because if you're trying to do it right, it costs a lot of money and it takes a lot of time. The, the issue with working dogs and hunting dogs in America, in my opinion, is people don't hold their dogs to any standards. Everybody's standards vary so much so that quality is from the very bottom to the very top and it's a massive spectrum of what's good and bad and so for me um i have to be very peculiar about what i keep uh what suits me what i breed and and i'm very peculiar about 
to whom I sell to. Um, I tell I tell five times as many people no as I tell yes when it comes to selling them a dog because most people cannot satisfy what I have or are not going to do enough to satisfy what I have. Or maybe they don't even have a job. You know, maybe it's maybe it's somebody that's looking one of my terriers because they think they're cool because they're high drive and they're gamey and people like that that idea of having a crazy dog because maybe they grew up with a bulldog or something. But those dogs will absolutely get you in a lawsuit, attacking another dog, killing the neighbor's cats, whatever the case may be. So I have to be very peculiar in this business as to whom I'm selling to, you know, questioning everybody, is this the correct home for this dog or this breed? You know, and I get people that maybe call for my terriers that may not need my terriers, but maybe one of my my wire hairs or my short hairs may be better suited. Mm -hmm. So there is a whole lot of, you know, ciphering through people, emails, messages, phone calls, and and that's just the selling point. And of course, like again, going back to what the situation is here in America is, I mean, let's be honest, probably 95% of the people breeding a dog of some kind will sell to the first man with money in his hand Mm -hmm. and that's just not that's just not how to go about it to maintain anything or to build a reputation or to or to keep anything the way it's supposed to be that's the reason why so many dogs have gone downhill in the united states is they're just bred by anybody and sold to anybody and um and being that training is another aspect of my business taking in hunting dogs from all over the country i see that in client dogs now and i speak very openly with a lot of my client dogs and and or their owners and we discuss you know my dogs and my type and what I expect versus theirs and so on and and a huge portion of my clients do not need the type of dog I have so the dog that they have may be better suited for them but it's a much 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 lesser bred dog than what I have which in turn leads to you know, issues in training, issues with speed of development, you know, just how good is this dog? So, you know, so there's this, there's some, there's some quirks that are, that, that come into play as far as, you know, when you're offering a service to somebody and they see your dogs and see what your dogs do and they go out and they buy the same breed but it's not the same quality of dog. And then there may be some expectation that this is the level of performance I want, but there's no way you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I talk a lot on social media and to various people in conversations, and I explain to them in different, you know, uh, different metaphors or whatever. You know, there, there's a lot of good high school athletes. There is a lot less good college athletes there's even more less a lot less uh good professional athletes and then there's even less hall of fame quality Mm -hmm. so when you start talking about dogs and and how that translates into dogs uh the genetics and the breedings and so forth behind all of these working dogs no matter what kind of working dog it is 
the the program behind that how you know the the genetics that lies behind that is what you're going to end up with a dog it doesn't matter if you're jesus the dog trainer there's only so much that can be done to fix an average bred dog so and again most folks are okay with it because they understand that they don't need the next level type dog they don't need a dog like i need for the type of work i do hunting all the time you know my dogs see game all year because even when we're not hunting i have game at my disposal for training and so forth so my dogs are working all year there's no such thing as we, we hunt three months out of the year and we, we rest a while and then we train during the summer to get ready for fall. Like we work all year. So, so there's a lot of different aspects to this business. The money aspect, um, trying to be affordable for the general public, especially right now and with our situation with the economy the way it is under this administration and obviously the value of a dollar with inflation. So you're trying to be affordable and trying not to actually raise your rates on puppies or training or whatever. And at the same time, you still got to make enough money because this business, I I tell a lot of people to be in my business with the way things are, if you don't have a stack of cash sitting around at your disposal to to keep things afloat whether whether it be you need new kennels or you know that pallet of dog food a pallet of dog food for me is twenty five hundred dollars um you know my new kennels if i order new kennels i've got a guy a company that welds my kennels are welded steel yeah they look like zoo animal cages because of the type of dog i have I, i need I need an upper tier strong kennel. I can't have, you know, I can't have a, you know, like a tractor supply or feed mill store kennel because they'll tear that all to pieces. So when I have to pay a guy for kennels, I mean, depending upon those kennels, I mean, a five kennel units, five or six thousand dollars plus delivery. So, you know, so you're talking about almost a thousand dollars or so per per run per dog well on my yard between my personal dogs and my client dogs there could be anywhere from 30 to 40 dogs on this yard so in other words i've got 30 plus thousand dollars tied up in dog kennels Mm -hmm. so it's not what people think uh now some people that have money backing them you know maybe they come from money maybe they married into money whatever the case may be um, you know, you, you, to do this right, you have got to have a lot of money, uh, at least coming in and out. Um, important. If you were to import a really good male wire hair from Germany, a DD or whatnot, that dog could go upwards. I mean, I've heard them go upwards of 15 to 20 grand for a dog. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so you see how, how this business, yeah, there, there's there's so many different aspects and levels to this business. That's always it's always something, you know. Whether it be injuries, because I hunt dangerous game or I hunt fighting game with my terriers, you know, raccoons and foxes and so forth. So there's vet bills. There's you know, obviously I do a lot of my own vet care because my vet. I grew up with my vet, hunted with my vet a lot. He's a close friend of mine, so I've learned to be my own veterinarian as I 
as I need, you know, as I need it, unless I need their equipment, their x-ray machine or whatnot, I can usually diagnose and fix a lot of things myself. But even still, I've got to have antibiotics on hand. I've got to have all these different things. And and that's a lot of the stuff that people don't see because people see, okay, you had a litter of eight puppies and let's just say you charge $1,000 a piece. Well, that man just made $8,000. And that is absolutely not not how it works because what money you do clear or what money I clear, let's say, goes right back into, again, a pallet of dog food or training game, you know, I, because I'm training pointing breeds and retrieving breeds and so forth. I keep Bob White Quail here. I keep pheasants here. I keep ducks here. I keep Tennessee Redback Rabbits here. I've got a pen full of wild boar that I keep fed that I use for training for for, uh, big game dogs. So all of those things cost. My my quail bill at this time of year for buying quail for client dogs and my puppies and so forth to work on upland birds, my quail bill every month is give or take $1,500 to $2,000 a month. So, so you can see, and you know, and you're talking about just quail. We're not talking about ducks. We're not talking about pheasants. We're not talking about rabbits. We're not talking about the feed to keep all these animals fed and watered and so on. So you see real quick, like your bills every month just to be in this business and do what I do is, you know, can be six, seven, eight, nine thousand dollars a month. That's a lot of money moving in and out. And then, you know, then you got to figure the physical work, the handling of the dogs every day, training the dogs all day from dark to dark, spraying the kennels two, three, four times a day. So it is a lot of work. It is a lot of secretarial work, uh, Instagram messages, Facebook messages, emails, text messages in the middle of the night. And because I've done this for so long and I've placed dogs out of my kennel all over the world, I get a lot of, I get a lot of foreign people, you know, maybe, maybe they don't speak really good English. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had a gentleman from China trying to get a dog from me. Um, the, the very same week, I had a call come in from Iran. I had a man in Iran trying to get a dog from me. So, you know, so they're, they're, there is a lot of, of moving parts and so forth in this business, especially if it's a big business and that you are, uh, you know, reasonably reputable or whatever. There's there's just so much that goes into it that people don't see every day because they feel like I think a lot of people see a dog trainer or somebody who just kind of gets up, puts his clothes on, goes outside and plays with dogs all day. And that's it with social media or whatnot discussing what you were just talking about is what I call the eye test. Um, I like to tell everybody that um, if you want to see what somebody's truly doing, just use your eyes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take a whole lot. If you're researching and you're looking, let's say you're, you're, you want a German short hair and you want it to be as useful as it can be. Maybe you're an odd man. You're not just looking to hunt quail and pheasants like most people. And maybe, maybe you want to, Maybe you want to do like I do and hunt everything from pigs to doves to ducks or, you know, whatever. If if you get on social media, most kennels, most operating kennels, especially, you know, reasonably sized kennels, have some form of social media. I mean, this is where we are today. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you get up there and spend any time looking, 
uh, it's not hard to see who's doing what. I mean, all you got to do is look at the dogs, look at the videos, look at the pictures, and and I tell people, you know, it, it, all you got to do is look. You know, there's a lot of people that do a whole lot of talking and a whole lot of typing and a whole lot of forums are all over all the forums and this, that, and the other, and all you got to do is look. So it's just like I tell everybody, you know, do you think that my terriers look like they do because they were beat with a meat tenderizer hammer? Mm-hmm. You know, they're getting used. They're getting worked, you know. And, I, and I, this is a story that's not necessarily something, you know, to, to kind of be proud of per se, but it's, it's something to happen. It was real life. Um, I don't get very much time off in this work. Yeah, it, you know, as I said, it's all day, every day. 24-7, you know, what what time off I get is time that I set aside to hunt during the week, which is not really time off because I may hunt half a day and work half a day or, or whatnot. But as far as true vacation, off for seven, eight, nine, ten days in a row, when I go to Europe, that is my vacation. So the rest of the year, 51 weeks out of the year, I'm here working. Mm-hmm. So... I was gone to Disney World with my family uh, four or five years ago, and uh, we were in the process of building a new house on my farm and so on, and I'd already moved my kennel operation over here, and so I was here on the farm training every day, et cetera, and uh, I happened to notice some uh, four-wheeler tracks or maybe some, some golf cart tracks with some mud tires on the golf cart, whatever kind of coming and going and i was like somebody's coming down here and i live 2500 feet off the road way back up in the back of a field in the woods and um so in other words you've got the you've got to absolutely trespass to come back here to see what i got going on right and so we were going to disney world and i had a friend of mine who has several dogs from me that he's gotten over the years and he was handling my kennel here feeding and spraying and you know hanging around do, doing what needed to be done and when I got back, I had a, a big old yellow note um, hanging inside of my kennel building. So I called the boy and I said, uh, Brandon, I said, uh, what's going on while I've been gone? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, did you not see that big note that was uh, hang- hanging above the, the feed bins? He said, no. And it was a note from Animal Control, and the Animal Control and the Sheriff's Department had been out here snooping around my place because I got reported for for raising and training fighting dogs because of what my hunting dogs look like because they get used. You know, facial scars, et cetera, et cetera, because this was when we went to Disney World was in the middle of our hunting season. So those dogs had been being used. So they were chewed up. They were banged up. They looked exactly like what they should look like if you're utilizing them. And so, of course, you know, we ended up having to, uh, you know, have a discussion with them. And they obviously asked some questions and found out, hey, this guy's not doing nothing wrong. This guy's just got hunting dogs and he actually uses them. So leave him alone. And I never, when nothing ever come of it, you know, after we, you know, had our day with them and whatnot, they figured out what the deal was. But, but with that, that re- that answers your question and, and it answers what I'm trying to say with, with the eye test. You know, with the eye test, that's all it takes. You know, there's a lot of people that do a lot of talking and so forth on the internet. All you got to do is look. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, and there's so much stuff that I do not post because of content. Like, 
if I posted everything that my dogs did or got a hold of or caught or whatnot, you know, there's there's no way I could even have social media. So, and I've got witnesses and plenty of witnesses um, that that know that have seen or been a part of something that has happened, and they're like, "Holy smokes, did that really just happen?" Whatever it may have been, um, you know, I mean, I've I've told people, I've got cell phone videos from from people who have um, bought terriers from me and, and even some of my other dogs but but one of them is this particular guy in maryland who owns one of my yacht terriers and and that dog has become a master at running down and catching and killing deer i mean you're talking about a 23 pound dog running down and got video of got proof of it numerous times um and what he does is i guess those deer are just oblivious to the fact that he's gaining on them so fast and where he lives at in Maryland, they don't have a whole lot of options for really getting away. Like here in eastern North Carolina, you're in you know hundreds of acres of timber. You can get away. You can create distance and get away from that dog. And and this joker runs them down, grabs them by the throat, kills them like a wolf, a 23-pound dog. Mm. So, and, and that's stuff that when you tell people that, no, that didn't happen. No, that didn't. And we got video of it. You know, we've got video of it. So, and, you know, I, I've had it happen with one in Pennsylvania and, you know, just different, different dogs doing different crazy feats that people would be like, no, there's no way that dog did that. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll show you. So I had a gentleman um, here recently that said something about uh, he, he was looking into my dogs and he wanted a turkey dog. And what a turkey dog is supposed to do is run into a flock of turkeys, spook them, let them scatter, and then come back and y'all sit down against a tree and you call the flock back and then you shoot your turkey. Well, I got to telling him, I was like, man, I don't, you know, I don't trust any of my dogs to be a turkey dog. Um, I said, you know, could they be trained to be that? Yeah, probably. But, you know, I just, I feel like you might be, you know, biting off more than you can shoot for that. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, I just had one last week run a turkey down and kill it, like caught it in the woods. The, the turkey couldn't get enough air to get out of the air fast enough before the dog run it down, caught it, and kill it. And I don't know if you've ever seen a wild turkey run or fly, but they're not slow. Right. <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're not slow. And this wire-haired dog run through the woods, and, and, and as he was getting flight, you know, snatched him out of there and killed him. I've got plenty of evidence as to what what I have, what I breed, what I do, um, all the time and effort and the travel and the money, you know, like I said, I'm going back and forth over there looking at dogs, selecting specific dogs uh, for a reason, you know, like with my terriers, um, most of my terriers are working champions of multiple countries in Europe. They're not just average dogs, uh, and of course their pedigrees are full of legendary terriers from the early 2000s on into the 90s and you know some of them go back as far as the early 90s which you know at this point is just 30 years ago um so that you know what i have is really old school blood in a lot of my dogs in all three of the breeds that i mess with that are my my go-to because again my hounds and my cur dogs are not they're just for my pleasure for hunting they're not necessarily part of any kind of financial gain or anything as far as my breedings my mm -hmm. breedings for the public 
for my hunting use, et cetera, to sell to the public are my short hairs, my wire hairs, my yacht terriers. My other dogs are just for my hunting. Now, if I have puppies off of, let's say, a hound litter, you know, they're, they're cheap as dirt because that's what hounds are. Um, but there's not, they're, they're not part of my actual operation. It's more for my pleasure. Right. So, but yeah, what you're getting at is, you know, with people not understanding, it is, it, it, people just have no clue the difference in what it's like. I mean, my issue is breeding. Like, people don't realize, you know, breeding is something that, that should be natural. You know, that's, that's, you wild animals breed all the time, you know. You shouldn't have no problem with breeding. But I've got dogs that are so hunt-driven that I can't get them to breed. You know, I've got to tie down the female, you know, tie her to a post and then get the male or or either hold the female and put a leash on the male so he don't run off. Like, I just made a wire hair breeding, uh, I don't know, 10 days ago. And the first few attempts we made, I let the male dog out, and he struck out and went in the woods and went hunting. was gone for 20 minutes. <laughs> and I'm like, it, it, she's right here flagging. Her tail was flagging. You can see her rump muscles moving every time he would put his nose there. And you're like, she is as ready as she's going to get. And he strikes out and does nothing. And so that is that is part that is part of my dilemma. You know, I've got a massive amount of people wanting puppies, and I try to explain to them, like, you have no idea what it's like trying to breed dogs like this. And I can only imagine uh, maybe the comparison being the old game dogs uh, when they had to put them in breeding stands and so forth, you know, for issues of aggression or whatnot. You know, I, I can only imagine things like that. But, like, they just, they're so hunt-driven that they just, but most of them just don't even care, like whether it be the male or the female or even both. And, and then, of course, you know, you jump for joy when you get a breeding, you know, like, thank God, finally, you know, finally, I want these puppies so bad. And then the other factor that comes into this, which I, you know, talk a lot about again on social media with people is, you know, you, you see, and this goes back to what you were saying with the pet dog people and even the working dog people who don't really work their dogs. You know, you see these litters of 8, 10, 12, 16 puppies and the mama's raising, you know, 13 out of the 16 she's raised or whatnot. And very, very, very rarely do I ever see anything like that. And I tell people, you know, the only science I have behind it is my own, my own claims. But for me, I look at it. I look at it like an old boxer or an old NFL guy. You know, those guys when they get to be 45, 55, 60 years old, they I mean they've had they've been beat up their whole life. You know, and when you figure, you know, quote unquote the dog years thing, if a dog is, you know, let's say 7 years to our 1 year, let's say, whatever. Um, you know, when that dog is four years old and has been worked and been beat on and cut up by pigs or swatted by bears or chewed up by a fox or a raccoon two dozen times, you know, I, I believe in my, in my mind, despite how good of the diet they get and the vitamins that they get, you know, keeping them on antibiotics as necessary, I believe that that plays a role in my breeding success as far as the volume of puppies and raising the puppies because my dogs, they spend their life working. So they're, they're, they're like an ex NFL player. They've been beat on their whole life and they've managed to survive because I get a lot of dogs killed, but they've managed to survive. 
And now I want this particular litter that I deem, you know, is probably going to be amazing. You know, I want a puppy out of this. And she has three. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you know, and and people don't people don't get that, and and I tell people all you got to do is look at the guys that are pumping out eight ten puppies all the time. I was like, because you know those dogs ain't working because I got a yard full of hunting dogs here, and I can't never have them more this year right now. Right now, it's mid September, and I have had two litters of short hairs that only produced six living puppies. I've had two litters of wire hairs that's only produced eight living puppies, and I've had one litter of terriers with seven puppies. So I've had whatever, somewhere around 21 puppies, and I've got, uh, you know, however many dogs I've got, six or seven wire hairs, five or six short hairs, and, you know, eight or ten terriers, and that's all the puppies I've had. And mind you, this is what I do for a living, is train and breed dogs. Mm -hmm. So you can't make no money. And you can't be in this business selling 20 puppies a year when you're feeding 40 dogs on your yard, including client dogs. So do you see, that goes right back to your question about the business. Now, do you see what this is like? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And And people don't get that. You know, like I said, my terriers, they get chewed up, they get banged up. I've got dogs missing parts, you know, parts of tongues, parts of ears, parts of chin, and they're in great health. But, again, you know, it's, it's, again, it's like, you know, everybody remembers what Muhammad Ali was like in his last six, seven, eight, nine, ten years alive when he ended up with Parkinson's and was shaking because he'd been beating the head so much. Well, when you look at it, again, as a dog and when it, when it comes into reproduction, there absolutely has to be something behind the fact that I can't produce no more than three, four, five, six puppies at a time here or there, and then maybe this one doesn't even take. Maybe, maybe, maybe I breed them a time or two and she doesn't take, and then maybe she takes again the next cycle. Maybe, you know, there's always, always, always something, always something. Right. Um, and again, like I said, I mean, I'm feeding good food, feeding high end food. My dogs are on supplements, vitamin supplements. You know, I mean, they're getting taken care of. I mean, they're no different than an athlete. They're getting stuff to make them perform at a high level. And and here we are with 21 puppies this year. I mean, I need to be having 45 or 50 at least a year to make any kind of profitable business on the puppy end, just on the puppy end. Because by the time I pay for pedigrees and DNA testing and different things that I have to do for, for different puppies and so on and so forth, you know, you're not you're not pocketing a lot of cash. You know, that's just, you know, and again, that's that's the misconception of people saying, okay, he's got eight puppies, let's say, times a thousand bucks. Well, he just made eight thousand dollars. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all, you know. And then, you know, I had a short hair this year that had a C-section. The puppies that she had inside of her were so big, she couldn't get them out. So there was two puppies that lived from that C-section, which I kept. They're on my social media, Fedor and Franca. Crazy, crazy talented puppies. And um, and those two puppies, the C-section cost me three grand. So basically, I just bought those two puppies back and put in my yard. Because what I paid for that C-section is what I would have sold those two puppies for at $1,500 a piece. Right. I just bought my own puppies. Yeah. So, so again, no money to be made there. Yeah. 
Yes, yes. Because, uh, like I said, it's just there's money going out left and right. Um, I've got a puppy here right now that uh, a small litter of wire hairs. It was four wire hairs in there, and I had planned on keeping a male. And all the deposits I had, I had more males than I had females. So I ended up having some guys switch. They wanted to switch to go ahead and get a puppy, so they got females. So the first guy on the list, instead of me being, you know, the asshole breeder and keeping the puppy, I said, okay, the puppy's yours. Well, I, I get that people live lives and have busy lives and jobs and so on, but this litter's been going off of my yard for a month now. And this puppy's still sitting here waiting on this guy to get this puppy. And we've already added a couple vaccines. He's been eating food every day. Not mention he's the biggest dog in the litter now. You know, so he's eating me out of house and home. He's costing me in vaccines. And it won't be long he'll be old enough for a rabies vaccine. You know, like I've got all this stuff going on. And I'm like, man, you are costing me money because you haven't even paid, like, there's no room and board here you know like yeah. you know you, you just got a dog sitting on my yard that um you know that I, hell, I hadn't even had the balance sent to me yet you know and i talked to him yesterday and like i said i i have nothing against him but like this this is costing me you know like you're killing me guy yeah so you know i'm still feeding your dog taking up a kennel that i need for my dogs or incoming client dogs or whatever and, and like I said, if you're not prepared for that and cannot manage that and have the space for that and the money for that, then this is a really tough business. And like I said, you know, I see a lot of the folks in, in this type of work, uh, especially in the hunting dog realm, the ones that, that, uh, are reasonably successful with it, um, maybe have some have some money somewhere if you know what i mean they married into money mama daddy's got some money you know whatever there there's some back in there you know there's more than just one guy who started out on a whim you know what i mean on a dream yeah. and you know of course all of them i tell you that this has been my lifelong dream and this that and the other but in reality like you know your mama and daddy are millionaires you know yeah. <laughs> like I know how you built that 2,500-square-foot kennel building, and it won't money out of the piggy bank, you know? So, like I said, you know, this is a really tough business to be in, so you've either got it from the start, some way, somehow, however you got it, you got it, or you've got to grind like there ain't no tomorrow. And, you know, one of the funniest things I see is having done this for so long, and, and... and, and like I said, have some form of notoriety with people around the world and watching people that have done nearly what I've done, get sponsorships from food, sponsorships from e-collars, you know, sponsorships from supplement companies for dogs, all this different kind of stuff. And I'm like, you know, you, you know obviously that, that hits home, you know, you know, you don't, you don't want to be the jealous guy. Yeah. Nobody wants to jealous guy but i'm like look guy i'm well beyond having earned this and have you not seen what i got on my yard you know and so you know it it is what it is and and like i said you're you're taught you should know you know not to envy somebody and so forth and it's not necessarily envy of them as much as it is you know what are you guys looking at like you know again where's the eye test here 
So, and a lot of it is nothing but marketing. And I see it on social media. I discuss it on my social media all the time with people about how, you know, some of these dog kennels and dog breeders and so forth become insta-famous. And you're like, I don't even know who they are. I mean, I got people in Iran calling me for a dog, and I don't even know who these people are. Yet, they've got half a dozen hashtags to different companies that they're that they're dealing with. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, so yeah, I mean, it, it can, it kind of hits home, you know, it is what it is, you know, I've, one of my trips to Europe, uh, a couple of years ago, I was put on the news, I was interviewed on, on their news over there about my trips over there and my dogs and my hunting and so forth. And, and so I, I kind of like to tell everybody, you know, when, when they ask me different things and, and we kind of start talking talking about this and and marketing and money and so forth, I said, I'm the most famous, unfamous man you know. You know? <laughs> and so, and, and, re, and really, that's absolutely what it's like. That's absolutely what it's like because I see, I see it, you know. And, 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 of course, anybody that looks at social media knows that these hunting companies and so forth, it's all marketing. It's all. It has nothing to do with knowledge, experience. No, no. It has nothing to do with nothing. You know. I mean, look, look at the fishing world right now. If it ain't a girl in a thong bikini on a boat floating somewhere on the far Florida Keys, then then you don't know how to fish. You know. I mean, that's just that's just what it is, and it's the same. It goes the same hand in hand with 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 dogs and everything. That's just that's what it is. That's what the business has become, and so. Everything revolves around money, and when people got it coming from different avenues or whatnot, you're doing all right. But when you've got to grind for it every day, man, it's tough. It's tough. So, and that's what really that that really irritates me as well. When you tell somebody that you charge a thousand dollars a month for training, or you know, fifteen hundred dollars for a puppy, and they think that that's too much, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, you know the parents of this this particular breeding right here are you know let's just say the parents are worth twenty thousand dollars between the two of them you know like these are really really accomplished dogs or whatever from phenomenal lineage and you're griping about a fifteen hundred dollar puppy that in the grand scheme of things i'm not gonna make a whole lot of money off of because that money goes right back to buying dog food and buying kennels and buying training game and you know equipment whatever it may be bird launchers e-collars whatever so so it's not it's absolutely not what the public sees when it comes to working dogs and working dog kennels and so on because if like you said if you do it right there's a lot of time there's a lot of blood sweat and tears yeah, I mean, I come in, it's getting dark here now, a little earlier, we're getting into the fall, it's getting dark somewhere around 7, 50, 8 o'clock now, something like that, and and I'm coming in at, you know, 8 o'clock at night every night, you know, it's, I'm not working a 9 to 5, I'm coming in at 8, you know, getting up at, you know, 6 o'clock in the morning as soon as the sun rises and heading out to feed and clean and whatnot, animals, whatever, and, you know, so I'm working at minimum, at minimum. 12 to 14 hours a day every day and that doesn't include secretarial time you know answering emails answering messages so on i mean like i said this this goes on all day i get phone calls from other time zones people are calling me at 11 o'clock at night well where they are you know it might be eight o'clock in the evening and they're just sitting down good and they want to call (laughs) get out of bed and go answer a phone call 
So is this a, a family affair? Do you, does your family help you out? And... No, my, my wife is a school teacher. Okay. Uh, my son, uh, he's nine years old, and, and you know, he, he likes the aspect of the dogs. He likes hunting with dogs, but he's a nine-year-old. Yeah. And, you know, today, <laughs> nine-year-olds are all over the place. You know, you got to drag them outside. And see, when I grew up, I, I was never inside. I got in trouble for being places I shouldn't be alone in the woods so far away from home because I was outside, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. You're not big enough to be down here on the river fishing by yourself at seven years old or, you know, or whatever. And and my son, like I said, if I can get him outside, you know, he's all about it. He's all about shooting guns and so forth. But, yeah, again, he's your modern-day nine-year-old. You know, he's he likes the TV. He likes, you know, playing the games and all that kind of stuff. But if you get him outside, he's fine. He loves... He loves hound races. He loves chasing bears, uh, things of that nature. He's not very much into the sit and still type hunting. He just, you know, because obviously got sit still and be quiet, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so if it involves some action, you know, he, he's all he's all about it because he'll he'll ask me at least once a week when can I go run bears again and and so on. So anyway, but no, my family doesn't really help a lot. So you're looking at it. You're looking at a ten man crew. Right here, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, that's it. And again, you know, a lot of people say, well, hire help. I'm like, no, I can't afford to hire help. You know, it would be a tax write-off because it would be payroll. But I can't I can't afford to pay somebody an honest living wage to do what I do and then profit and be able to keep my business afloat and my household afloat. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's not possible because I don't clear that volume of money to be paying somebody, let's say, $40,000 a year to be an assistant trainer and camp cleaner and all that. I just, I can't. Mm-hmm. So, so that tells you right there how the volume of money that goes into, you know, what I do because I can't, I don't have an extra forty grand a year to pay an assistant. Well, again, it goes back to it goes back to the, the folks that I know that have help. You know, they charge more, they get more, they have a little different clientele. You know, again, you know, the retrieving world, most of the Labrador retriever guys are, are, you know, weekend warrior hunters for the most part. You know, they hunt ducks on the weekend or whatnot. Some of them travel out of state, shoot ducks and geese or whatnot. But most of those guys are like businessmen, you know. You know, so they, they've got good jobs, making good money, and they don't bat an eye at paying $1,000 a month for training, and they don't bat an eye, you know, paying this man six, seven, eight, nine thousand dollars $9,000 for a dog. And the type of dogs that I have, yes, I sell dogs to some people with, you know, with notoriety and with money. I've sold dogs to people who have their own TV shows and, and so on. But uh, but a lot of my dogs are going to hardcore guys that are just average Joe guys that actually get out there and beat the bushes. And those are not the guys that make $150,000 a year at their everyday job. Now, some of them are, but in the grand scheme of things, that's that they're not, you know? Right. And so, so my pricing has to reflect that, you know what I'm saying? So... You know, and I plan on, like I said, I plan on when the economy gets itself back right and everybody's not kind of pinching dollars and whatnot, that I'm going to go up on my puppy prices and I'm going to go up on my training prices because I'm putting out too much of my own money to make your dogs better. And so, 
But again, like I said, some of these guys, I mean, I, I know, I know several guys myself right now that have two or three assistants. And I'm thinking, what kind of money are they turning over in, in that retriever kennel that he can afford to pay $10 an hour to three different guys to work 30 hours a week and then make money to keep his house afloat? Right. You know what I mean? You've got to be churning over some money. Yeah. So, I mean, my expenses for me every year is, you know, six figures. I mean, a, a lot. People don't think, you know, because I'll ask people, how much money do you think I spend every year to operate like this? And, of course, you know, my expenses involve a lot of different things from equipment to dog food to game, you know, vet bills, whatnot. But, like, I mean, I, I spend easily seventy five to $100,000 a year easily easily to be in to, to be in this business so if i spend a hundred grand a year in expenses i got to do 150 a year to have a fifty thousand dollar a year job right absolutely the 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 push um i don't know uh if you use chewy um the the dog food company whatnot mm-hmm. online dog supplies whatnot um, I used to use Chewy a lot to order things uh, from time to time until I'd done a little digging and found out that Chewy donates millions and millions of dollars to the Humane Society. Well, for the average person who's not smart enough to, to, to know, the Humane Society sounds like a good thing. You know, let's not abuse dogs. Let's not starve them to death or, or whatever. You know? you know, they sound like they're out for the right thing. But the Humane Society is the one that is pumping the money into and backing all the anti-hound hunting legislation all across the United States. Let's outlaw mountain lion hunting. Let's outlaw bear hunting. Let's outlaw bobcat hunting. And so the same people that you are ordering your product from online because they deliver it to your front door is taking your money and turning it right back to another crowd who's taking that money and then lobbying against working dogs. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and, and again, you know, if, if people don't start to notice this kind of stuff and stand up this kind of stuff and, and, and be a part of it instead of watching it happen, um, you know, you, you're going to see it see it go away. And that's what's happening is you're seeing the demise of all the working breeds. You're seeing lesser quality. You know, you're seeing a lot of traits go away and so forth because, let's face it, I mean, um, look, let's look at the Jack Russell Terrier. Just, let's just say the Jack Russell Terrier. In general, if you look at numbers, how many Jack Russells in America would be worth keeping as a working terrier, a good working terrier, and compare that to what the Jack Russell was 45 years ago? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. Yeah. I mean, there, there's no way they're even close. There's, there's no way. There's no way they're even close because most, most of them are house pets. There are people still working them. There are people still using them. But the ones that they're using, are they on the same performance level those were in the 1980s, 70s? No. You know? I mean, and, and so what's happening is, is you're seeing the demise of all that stuff because of the softening of our society. You know, the animal rights groups and, you know, everything now is is all put on the news. All, you know, everybody's videotaping, oh, this guy's using a terrier to kill a raccoon. You know, we got to get him for animal cruelty or whatever, you know. 
And so you're seeing that. And, and again, you know, you tie that to, like we were saying earlier, ignorance and, and, and just people in general, because most people in general, like I said, they have no standards anymore. They breed anything. They sell anything. And so with that being said, you know, there's a lot of mediocre dogs as far as working dogs being bred and sold that, you know, people are buying hand over fist and you're just seeing, you're seeing working dog people being their own demise. Yeah. Well as the Humane Society and all these other, you know, PETA and so on. So it's a double-edged sword. So if if working dog people can't keep their junk straight and then you're getting attacked from outsiders, I mean, imagine what's going, what it's going to be 25 years from now. Like I said, this business uh, of being in the hunting dogs and working dogs and so forth is is brutal mm-hmm. everybody is after you always you know no you know the, the fans that i have most of the fans that i have are people that i don't even know right you know they're people that you know that i don't even know now granted i got a lot of friends that you know support me and whatnot and and i tell people some of my closest friends that i feel like are truly looking out for me in this business and trying to help me with dogs are people that don't speak english and don't live here yeah you know, yeah, and, and and you know, and somebody might say, "Well, yeah, but that's because they're getting your money." And I'm like, "Well, you don't realize that some of these dogs these boys are giving me are gifts because I go over there and I help them with something, or maybe I send them some money over there because a lot of people don't realize, you know, the way the economy is now. Um, during Obama, when when the economy was just like it is now, um, when Obama was president, I, you know, a lot of my friends and so forth in eastern europe were struggling and you know they you know hey man can you can you send me a few hundred bucks whatever you know i won't have a a birthday party for my son or whatnot and i know they're not lying because i would see pictures and so Mm -hmm. forth and then the next time i come over there they say we're going to give you these two dogs so what for because you've helped us and and so forth and of course they would demonstrate the dogs i'd watch the dogs or whatever you know i I bought a working champion female at a trial i was running a a a dog of mine in a trial and i bought a working champion female over there that was a really highly thought of uh terrier over there to help the boy pay his family pay for his sister's wedding so you know so but when when you start talking about it as a, as a business and and the competition and the money and the reputation and again marketing and this that and the other it is a dog eat dog world yeah. so and you know I, I try not to be involved in it but you're never not involved in it you know yeah no. I, I try to call it out as what it is and try to let people see it for what it is but again people today are just not they're just not smart i mean you know it is what it is i mean look at the shape we're in today look at our country politically you know just i mean just look at every aspect of our country i mean we're we're calling men women and women men and again i don't care what people do in their home i don't care what you do but you know here's the deal this is what a woman is this is what a man is to dry, you know. So with with that being said, that it, that same train of thought is 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 spilling over into everything, you know. Just people are just not real smart about anything, you know. When you try to explain to them something, you know, about working dogs or, or 
why why is this dog doing this or just whatever they they just have, they're oblivious to everything okay and so when you try to explain to to people again you know how how what you've got to do to keep yourself afloat and to fight off the hate the haters let's say or whatever is um it, it, you know people have no no idea like no idea and again you know some of it for some people is deserving some of it isn't um but it is a brutal brutal world and i know even even at the show dogs i mean i know i know folks in show dogs that hate each other you know they just, they just despise each other you know and of course i don't own no show dogs but i'm in the dog business so i see see a lot of things yeah. um and and like i said it's always always and even in the hunting community aside from dogs the the hunters that don't hunt with dogs hate the hunters who do hunt with dogs yeah yeah and then the hunters who do hunt with dogs hate the trappers because their dogs get caught in a trap you know and i'm like look you know we're all on the same team you know we're all on the same team the trappers are trying to help you know rid your bird hunting land of nesting predators like skunks and and uh, raccoons and so forth so you got a pheasant hatch or a duck hatch or whatever meanwhile you're worried because your dog got caught in a coyote trap or or whatever you know they're all legal aspects of being an outdoorsman and and a hunter and trapper and so forth and everybody's you know like here in my state of north carolina um the commercialization of deer hunting has ruined all hunting uh, the TV shows, the people thinking they're going to get rich and famous for killing that one deer that's going to get them on a magazine or whatnot. It, everybody is bone crazy. And by bone, I mean antlers on their head. You know, everybody is crazy over, I'm going to kill the biggest deer. I'm going to, you know, and, it, and it's, and it's every county across this state. Well, North Carolina is a heavy hound hunt state. Raccoon dogs, squirrel dogs, fox dogs, bobcat dogs, bear dogs, hog dogs, you know. And not every county in the state are you allowed to run deer with deer dogs. There's only probably 40 out of the 100 counties in the state that you can run deer dogs. And and those 40 counties, the reason you can run deer dogs is most of them are the more rural counties and the most of them have the highest deer densities you know we have a lot of deer in my state and and i mean to the point that some of my wildlife removal work which i do on the side i used to do more of it but my wildlife removal work for some of the farmers is shooting deer in the summer they're problematic they're so thick they're eating soybeans and and so on and um with that being said, obviously, use of hounds aids in the taking of deer, as well as, as I said earlier in our conversation about our terrain, our terrain in a lot of eastern North Carolina is so thick and jungle-like that you can't get in the woods and places to hunt them, so you have to have the dogs push them out or you won't kill them. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, we have, North Carolina is um, very heavily owned timbered land in other words uh, timber company land georgia pacific uh warehouser international paper all these different timber companies who own hundreds of thousands of acres of timber land which is managed for for the wood for the forest products well those those timbered lands are some of the nastiest stuff you can you can hunt on and there's nothing there but dirt roads 
So once you get into the jungle of the woods, the only openings you have, unless it's a mature stand, which, you know, obviously in the timber company world, you know, they, they, they cut timber based on what they need. So certain age types and classes of timber get cut earlier and so on and so forth. So you're not always going to have places that you can get into the woods to hunt and so the idea is the deer dogs push the deer out into the dirt roads where there'll be a standard to shoot the deer running out of the woods or push him across a crop field and so on well the the trophy hunters don't like the dog hunters because the dog hunters quote unquote shoot everything number one and, and that's not, not necessarily the case in most cases. And number two, they think that when the dogs leave this 700 acre piece of woods and cross over onto their 150 acres, that it has ruined their entire hunting season. And so with that being said, you know, North Carolina is now a no right to retrieve state, which means if my bear dogs tree a bear, a hundred feet on the other side of a property line, I've got to call that property owner and hope that he lets me go over there. If not, I have to tone them off with the with the collars and get them to come off of that tree and get them clipped up on leashes and walk them back out and leave the bear because they passed the law saying that you're no longer allowed to retrieve wounded game and or dogs when when it crosses a property line. So, so that's what it's come to because of deer hunting. And it's all because of deer hunting. So, and it, like I said, the steel hunters, you know, hunting in deer stands don't want the dog hunters to control anything. So slowly but surely they've chipped away until, you know, they've got this law in place. Now for dog hunters that you, you know, you better be catching your dogs at property lines. Wow. So... And I get it, I understand, but if everybody just got along like they did 25 years ago before everybody thought they were going to be famous deer hunters, you wouldn't have none of those problems. Because years ago, that's all anybody did was dog hunt, you know? So, and now, you know, archery hunting is real big, and, you know, just different things have come about to change the way of hunting, and, and it has changed hunters. So, and again, you know, I have no... You know, I don't care what anybody hunts. I don't care what method they hunt. Um, but everybody should get along and support each other because, like I said, they're chipping away. And when you're already having people within your own, when you're within your own community that hate you, whatever, with the deer hunters hate that, or the steel hunters hate the dog hunters, or you know, the show dog breeders hate the working dog breeders. Back, in, you know what I'm saying? Like you're, you're just you're cutting your own throat. Yeah. Yeah, because but, they're they're definitely winning. They're dividing and conquering for sure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, and then you know where you come from. You know, if, if you if you came from the Pacific Northwest, I believe you said you came yeah. from the Northwest. Yeah. You came from up there. Look at what's happening to those states. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Washington, Oregon, and California. You might as well just chop them completely off because they got phenomenal hunting, and you can't hardly hunt anything. Right. You know, they they've 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 made different laws and different rules and different things to keep, you know, you can't, you can't hunt 
hunt bears with with dogs. You can't hunt, you know, mountain lions at all, you know, or, or whatever. It, you know, slowly but surely, you know, four or five cities up and down the West Coast, from Seattle to Portland to L.A., have made the decision basically because in reality that's what it is. Oh yeah. Um, they've made a decision for everybody yeah. that this is what we want and this is what it's going to be. Yep. Yep, that's exactly what it is, and then then they're then they're talking about introducing, you know, wolves back into. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't even need to get get talking about that because I mean I got folks that live out there that got dogs from me or people that I know in the dog world that have to deal with them. Um, I was planning on uh, at some point later this year or early next year heading out west to try to tree a line with my dogs, and that was one of the things we were talking about was the wolf issue. And, you know, I said, I ain't worried about grizzly bears. I'm worried about the wolves. I said, because, you know, I, I feel like we can shoo off a grizzly bear unless we absolutely have to, um, absolutely have to, you know, shoot the bear or whatnot. But the wolf deal, you know, if your dogs are tree eight, nine hundred yards away and you've got to go up and down the side of a mountain to get to them, they'll be eaten by the time you get there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wolves are no joke. So... Yeah, and yeah, can you imagine a wolf in a uh, running around a rural town while the little pet dogs are? <laughs> well, I mean, you see that a lot in Europe because Europe is going through the same thing right yeah. now with the wolves because they're protected in most places over there, yeah. and and they are a huge problem over there. Livestock eating, mm-hmm. eating killing off sheep and, and small horses and so like in Romania mm-hmm. Romania was one of the few countries over there that allowed uh, European brown bear hunting and I think they have outlawed brown bear in Romania now uh, as far as the hunting of them I think and now they're having they're having issues you know because you're talking about a 600 pound bear of course that brown bear over there don't get as big as ours do in Alaska and so forth but, you know, a six or seven hundred pound bear, you know, imagine what he does to a sheep herd in the mountains in Romania. Yeah. So, uh, and the same, like I said, the same thing with wolves. I mean, in a lot of the places over there, you can, all you got to do is do a little digging on the internet. You can see all kinds of videos over there of wolves walking the streets. Just, you know, walking through the streets of, you know, Germany or Poland or whatever, you know, just wolves, you know, <laughs> you're like, yeah, we, we think of wolves, we think of Yellowstone, and that's pretty much it. You know, you think of far, desolate areas in, in the in the western states, but, you know, over there, I mean, that's something that they deal with in towns and cities and so forth. You know, they, they've got enough of them, and not every country allows you to hunt them. And, and, it, and again, like I said, it's all animal rights people and so forth that are... You know, controlling things. That's the reason why Germany is having, you know, having the issues that they're having with their hunting and their training rules and laws and so forth. Germany is cutting their own throats and has been for the last 20 years with their hunting dogs and so forth because of all the legislation tied to, you know, what you can do with a hunting dog, how you can train a hunting dog. You know, the, you know, the, the terriers over there, they no longer can can do full contact training and testing legally. Um, so in the German Yacht Terrier Club, how, how hard do you think, and by hard I mean hardness, how hard do you think terriers are 
that never get to put teeth on fox and badger until until it's time to during the hunt let's say if and, and of course a lot of that anymore is is you know digging is highly shunned in a lot of countries over there so a lot of their earthwork is not truly digging to a dog with a mouthful of fox it's a dog going down and flushing the fox who then bolts out of an escape hole and a shot with a shotgun that is quote unquote their earthwork for the most part so how hard are those terriers that never get to engage game can you maintain hardness over years when you never get to truly engage game no exactly so so the hard terriers are now coming all out of all the eastern european countries that actually started with german dogs 30 40 50 years ago or whatever and and even in some of those countries you know some of the some of the competitions and so forth are still outlawed but they still happen um but like i said that's you know germany their laws i mean like certain places over there you can't you can't train but with one live duck a year or whatever and you know i might go through 200 ducks in a year with different client dogs right you know and so it's just different things that that will end up being the demise of the abilities of these dogs you know and i and i talk about like um you know like game dogs you know it's just you know whether you agree with it, don't agree with it, you know, condone it, don't condone it, what not, fight dogs, bulldogs. So, what do you think happens if with, with a dog that's created for that purpose, uh, if he's not getting to use that purpose anymore? You know? Yeah. It, it, it just it goes away, you know? It still may look the part. Some of them still may have it. Some of them still may act the part. But again, with the Terriers in, in, in Germany, you know, the reason why so many of them have gone soft and are nowhere near as hard as what they were, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago is because it's not it's not being maintained. It's not being utilized. You know, when they score hardness over there, they score hardness based on its reaction to seeing the game behind a wire dividing wall. It's a metal, you know, dividing wall there with holes in it or whatnot. And the dog is just, bar, 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 you know, barking at that. Well, let's see what happens when that badger grabs him by the face. Does he does he stick with it? Does he drive in there and, and get a hold of him or, or what? You know, you can't tell any of that. Right. All you see is barking. So, you know, so so that, you know, that will deteriorate in the dogs with time. And how hard do those Germans work to create such great dogs exactly Exactly. and i have i've said that all these years that they have put into the creation of all these breeds i mean look at the phenomenal hunt dogs that have come out of germany you know i mean look at the shore hairs and the wire hairs and the weimaraners and all these different dogs all the european versatile dogs most of the european versatile dogs are of german origin somehow Mm mm-hmm so and and those dogs were known to be robust hard charging you know i mean those dogs over there you know 20 years ago snatch up a a 35 pound badger and shake him like a rag so i mean i mean i know and and people within within the community know that you know some of the reputation from some of these uh larger quote unquote bird dog breeds over there some of them dogs would kill other dogs like they'd get into a squabble and because they were bred to not quit which is why i like my dogs they were bred to not quit 
Um, they get in a squabble with a dog. It won a 30-second fight. They both kind of raised their hackles and went in a separate direction. No, one of them fought and killed the other one, and then the other one went back to eating his food or whatever, you know. That's what those dogs were. And right. so over time, they have tried to breed a lot of that away or intentionally or non-intentionally bred them, and they're softer. And that's what differentiates my bird dogs from so many is, you know, I mean, that's why I post what I post and show my dogs on bear and not backing down and show my dogs catching pigs without, you know, issues and so on. I mean, I've got I've got one short hair out there right now that's had two broken bones, one leg bone, one jaw bone. She's been cut by numerous pigs and she's had a bear tail her tear her tail off. So she's got like a two inch stump of a tail now. Because the bear grabbed her by the rear end and, and basically his his premolars a mess hacksawed her tail off of her body mm. and he flew her through the air. So how many bird dogs do that? Yeah. You know? So that the mother to that wire hair litter that I, I just had um that I was telling you I had the leftover puppy still sitting here from, that mother and that father both have ended up in a bear's mouth. Uh, the mother got bit around the pelvis. As a matter of fact, I think it was the same bear that tore my Brita dog's tail off. He bit her around the pelvis and there was puncture holes from his canines on the top and the bottom, basically on one side of her hip and the other side of her hip where he picked her up in the air and had her in his mouth like a pension toy. So, and I, you know, turn around and put her right back in the hog pen. A few months later, she goes right back to catch it again. So, because again, you know, that, that stuff can mess with their psyche. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got a dog that runs in there and thinks he's going to win and all of a sudden, oh, look, Oh, this thing's got a hold of me, you know. It messes with their messes with their psyche. So you give them a little time, and then you start easing them right back in, and you're right back doing it again. So, but but like I said, the Germans created that, and I have done the best I could to maintain that because I've had a lot of them, a lot of them today in the last seven, eight, nine, ten years that are nowhere even close to that, and that's why I, everything I breed is either mine or is something that I've imported from friends. I don't I don't breed mess that anybody else has. Um, it's all off of my yard, so I know absolutely what it is. Or it's something that I know what it is because I know the pedigree and the quality of dogs and so forth from Europe. Mm. And, and even a lot of the dogs I've imported from Europe, um, I, I don't know, maybe... Maybe 50% of what I've imported from Europe, I end up selling because they just don't meet my standards. Maybe they're better, better at birds and waterfowl and not good enough at fur or just whatever. They're like a hunting dog. But they just won't live here. And, um, and so a lot of my issue with, with these dogs in America, even the German club dogs, is they're just not what they, they're not what they once were. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, people will argue, oh, yes, yes, they are. Don't you say that. You know, you know how people are. Yeah. But I'm saying, I'm speaking in percentages. So if we had a hundred of them out here in the yard and I had a hundred raccoons and we were going to let these hundred dogs sell off on these raccoons, there would be 50 of them sit back and bark. There would be 25 of them that would go in there and bite it, shake it, back up, bark, go in there and bite it, shake it, back and forth, back and forth until it died. And then there might be 25 out of that 100 that run right in there, snatch hold of it, crush it, and it's done. So, 
and and again, you know, when you try to explain that to people, you know, because they've had one or two dogs, they haven't seen the volume I have, but they know everything, you know, so they won't argue with you over it. And I mean, I witnessed one dog one time that that came to my house with with the boy came to my house with the dog and the raccoon riding together in the dog box. Mm. That's crazy. <laughs> I was like, you know, the, I, I mean, my dogs would have my truck flipped in the median as soon as I pulled out on the highway. <laughs> so, but I mean, I've seen that. Yeah. And this, and like I said, you know, everybody, you know, everybody has their, you know, their thing. And what I always talk about, one of the, one of the, another saying of mine is people are living in the folklore yeah. of dogs. They're living in the folklore of what these dogs once were because they still think they're the same, but they're not choosing the dogs that are like the dogs from back then. You know, they're not selecting those type of dogs. You know, maybe they're too much dog. You know, I've got a dog. I just got some messages last night from a boy in Kansas that that got a dog from me. I gave him the dog because I didn't want to sell the dog to anybody, and this boy had helped me. Um, had helped me doing some training, so I gave him the dog. And he moved out there to Kansas, and uh, he wanted to use the dog on upland birds, but he wanted to hunt some other stuff, rabbits and different things. And the dog has already killed a bear and killed a couple of raccoons out there, so the dog has proven itself to be, you know, what I said. But his issue training was uh, the dog was not, not pointing like he wanted. And, of course, when you breed dogs like I breed and you're trying to maintain all of the usefulness, it's impossible to be 110% in every category. You can't do it. So pointing upland bird work will always be the weakest spot for my dogs. And it doesn't mean they don't do it because they do. But it just means it will take more work and more training to polish that because they're so prey-driven. So you're trying to take a dog that you want to run over there and snatch up that badger and kill it. And then at the same time, tell him you need to point that pheasant. Don't go over there and try to flush it. So you can see what that's like. You know, you're, you're, you're telling a bulldog to be a catch dog, but then don't run in there and, and grab hold of that raccoon. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Like it's yeah. kind of a, you know, it's, it's contradictory, you know? So, so when you're breeding dogs that are very prey driven and, and so forth, you know, the, the bird aspect is usually, the weak spot now granted uh, you know there are some exceptions to the rule again there'll be somebody argue this or whatnot but the bird aspect for the most part will end up being the weak spot so he has had all kinds of issues with that dog because she was just so much dog she's hot wired she's just go 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 and finally last night he sent me a picture and uh he killed three wild birds. Um, I don't know. I didn't even look to see what species they were, but he had killed uh, three wild birds in Kansas with a dog over a point, point, shoot, retrieve, done everything she was supposed to. And I sent him a message back. And I said, see, I said, it happens if you do like you're supposed to mm-hmm. and just ride out the storm, you know, just get past the part where she's crazy as all get out and put her in birds and let, let genetics come alive and and so on but but those type of dogs within these breeds are not nearly as numerous as what people would not try to make you believe because they're living in the folklore again uh, back when these dogs had a reputation of 
killing other dogs or being man aggressive because even these dogs used to be in germany used to be extremely man aggressive and that was one of the deals that they had here in america early on with some of these versatile bird dogs were they could be man shark you know they bite strangers or you know you come up to the truck to talk to your buddy and the dog was sitting in the passenger seat about to take your hand off you know that was one of the things that they were known for because of course back then you're coming out of world war one world war two and it's just a different time you know it's just a different time you know most everybody even i remember people telling me of their old yard dogs and stuff back then they were just even junk dogs just random old junk cross bed bred yard dogs were aggressive dogs was, you know that's just that's just what they were they were aggressive dogs and what we've done is we've tried to tame that while at the same time making people believe that it's still there <laughs> yeah and you know and yes um you know there there are you know there are exceptions of course there are dogs out there that are still man biters and so forth defending their home or whatever but i mean in the grand scheme of things when you talk about the volume of puppies it's just it's not they're just not what they were and that's why i've worked so hard trying to find the dogs i find keep the dogs i like breeding the type of dog i like and so on to you know to get past the part where i'm not living in the folklore like this is what my dogs do this is why i show you every day you know my dog's going from quail to the water to the pig pen to fetching you know a fox or a raccoon they're doing everything they're supposed to do every dog on my yard that's why you can see on my social media dog after dog after dog after dog not just a dog i had a guy that i trained a dog for last year that said that you know when he bought his dog he bought his dog from a breeder that uh d- doesn't hunt uh has a bunch of money imports a lot of these dogs from germany sells puppies doesn't hunt them of course you know makes people believe he does because that's how you sell puppies but he even told told the guy he said man i don't duck hunt for two or three times a year so when this guy asked me to train his dog um you know we got to talking about this and i brought up the fact that you know these people are just living in the past with these dogs and they're nowhere near even close to what they were and his dog was very was the same the same the dog was a phenomenal retriever and a solid water dog but it was nothing even close to what my dogs were in all the other aspects of work and 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 he he owned up to it we we knew we agreed i mean i carried his dog down there to my board training pen and his dog rubbed noses with the pig you know, yeah. <laughs> didn't bark, didn't raise his hackles, you know, like, hey, I'm coming in here. You know, I mean, just they went over there and went rubbing noses like they were raised on farm together. You know? So, but anyway, what he said to me, he said, the reason I chose you as my trainer was because I got to looking at all these different trainers and kennels and whatnot that everybody, you know, was so highly touted. And he said, I could go to your page and I could look and I could see this dog's name and I could see this dog do 10, 15 different tasks. And I could go see this dog's name and I could see this dog do 10 or 15 different tasks. And I could go to this dog. And, he, and it was over. And I said, yeah, because every dog on my yard is going to be genetically predispositioned to be good at everything because of the way I breed them. I don't try to single out certain tasks to breed. It's just like in the Terriers. If you breed to have nothing but hardness in the terriers, 
you will begin to lose uh, maybe use of nose and locating ability or maybe even being able to handle them, train them, to teach them anything because they're so suicidal. You know, they're crazy, and so they're hard to teach anything. And a lot of people don't realize that with the Yacht Terrier, that breed is a versatile working dog just like the rest of the German dogs. It's meant to do more than just fight raccoons. I mean, my dogs flush pheasants, they retrieve ducks, run rabbits, catch pigs. Uh, I have put them on bears, but they always end up in the bear's mouth somehow. (laughs) So, uh, you know, so I've learned, obviously, they don't get to go unless you want them dead. Um, But, uh, you know, that's that's things that people don't know because all people are drawn to with the terrier, with the yacht terrier, is the hardness aspect. So you've got to maintain that water desire to swim and retrieve you know you've got to maintain that track and desire to be able to run rabbits and run game you've got to be able to maintain the ability to be able to train the dog to sit stay fetch walk on a leash and so on and that is that is highly you know misunderstood you know i I just made a post this morning on one of my social media outlets this morning of a dog that was returned to me for being too much dog, too hot to handle, and the dog was not getting the work it needed. And see, as I said earlier on in all this interview, I, I am very peculiar about who I sell my dogs to. And supposedly, this this was supposedly the story, the dog was going to be utilized as a farm dog, killing groundhogs and raccoons and so forth and, and so on. And so I semi-agreed, okay, I'll sell you a dog. Because I'm, I'm I, you know, I usually can read through the lines pretty good when people start telling me a bunch of junk. And anyway, I sold the dog to the guy, and apparently he come probably from the bulldog world from what I can tell. And all he did with that, with that dog is just basically try to raise it like most folks raise a yard dog bulldog. Just put him on the slap meal and play with the flirt pole and use the uh, spring pole and all that kind of mess. And so all he did was make this this terrier of mine insanely crazy and just drive like there is no tomorrow with zero training, like zero control, zero recall, no come here, see it. I mean, he's just, he's like a Tasmanian devil that's on crystal meth. (laughs) I mean, it's and I'm like, you have ruined this dog. Now, I'm going to keep the dog, and I'm going to make the dog a hunting dog, but you have ruined this dog because this is not what they should be like. Yes, they should be hard. Yes, they should be fearless. Yes, they should be high energy, but this dog, 24-7, he, he bounces back and forth in his kennel so much so that he's going to put a root in the concrete. I mean, it is all day. And so I know that this guy didn't do he didn't hunt the dog he didn't train the dog to be a hunting dog he's like it was another like i said some of the bulldog crowd which again i i have nothing against bulldog people or bulldogs have nothing against them i own an english bull terrier so i I know all about the bulldog world but with that being said they just like them because they're cool yeah you know oh they're crazy they're high drive let me just have well that's not how this works you know and so now i've got a, a kennel building out there with 16 dogs inside the building and nobody is making a peep and this dog is screaming bloody murder and jumping back full back full back full back full from one end of the kennel to the other all day all day you can go out there at eight o'clock in the morning he's doing it go out there at eight o'clock at night he's still doing it 
So, because all he was doing was, you know, teased and just build up, build up, build up, and teased and build up, and there was no control. There was no other purpose. He was not used for nothing. Just be crazy, and then I'll think you're cool. And then once we realize you're overly crazy, oh crap, I got to get rid of you. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so so breeding these type of dogs and maintaining these type of dogs is is a science. I mean, it's an absolute science to make sure you have enough water desire bred into the dog enough pointing desire or with the terriers the ability to run a track you know not only just kill something but be able to find it and get to it and so on so so yeah that's you know like i said people people don't understand that uh there's so much more to 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 doing this than there are to just take two short hairs and breed them and make dogs that just point birds So here's because uh, my my podcast is heavily geared towards breeds and then the the culture around specific breeds. So what is the the major difference between the short hair and the wire hair in your experience? Uh, well, depending upon the breeder and the dog, <laughs> it could be a whole lot. It could be nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, with with my personal dogs, um, I don't see that there's any difference whatsoever other than hair. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the wire hair dog, the DD, uh, the original version from Germany, the Drahar, the one of the breeds that was used to make that, because of course all the versatile dogs were mutts. One of the breeds was the German short hair, the Deutsch Kurzhaar, mm-hmm. and or Kutzhaar, depending on who you talk to and how they want to call it, but. That was one of the foundation breeds for the wire hair, so it's already in the wire hair. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, with my dogs, I don't see any difference whatsoever. With other dogs, typically speaking, um, you know, the short hairs are not as robust typically as the wire hairs. Uh, they're a little more bird influenced typically, but again, most of the American bred wire hairs are bred for nothing but upland birds and waterfowl. Um, yes, some of them still kill predatory game. And yes, some of them here or there may be used here or there for stuff like pigs and whatnot. But in general, again, another percentages thing, in general, most of your short hairs are, are more birdier dogs than the wire hairs typically um but i mean in reality there's not a whole lot of difference i mean i've seen crazy high you know high energy wire hairs just run 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 and i've seen the same thing out of short hairs i've seen wire hairs that didn't want to swim i've seen short hairs that wouldn't swim you know and i think the biggest thing with these dogs and the american type when you start talking about um, breeder responsibility or ear responsibility is as to how these dogs differ um all the all the pretty women love a speckledy puppy and all the other pretty pretty women that don't love a speckledy puppy love a little bearded puppy With that being said, there's just as many pet quality mess that I would never in my life own um, out there in both breeds that there's, there's really just, there's just, there's not a lot of difference. You know, it's just not. Um, I've seen old 
bony little frail built wire hairs that should be you know a whole lot more sturdy and stout and muscular and i've seen the same thing out of short hairs but you know as far as my dogs are concerned i can put any dog down on my yard and i can hunt ducks in the cold even with the short hairs i've, I've got pictures of them retrieving in the ice i can hunt ducks in the cold i can trail bears with hounds i can catch pigs i can shoot doves you know, of course, obviously there's advantages. The wire hair will typically handle the cold better than he will the heat, and the short hair will handle the heat better than the cold. But, you know, as far as ability is concerned, I, I don't have, I, I can't, I can't tell you one, one, one's better than the other. I hunt with both of them. I'm successful with both of them. I hunt them solo. I hunt them together. I hunt them with other breeds. And if they're bred right, if they're bred like they're supposed to and you've maintained it all, then you take either one of them dogs and go anywhere and hunt anything. Mm -hmm. So how do you keep the Yog Terrier quiet? <laughs> uh, lots of work and lots of training to understand who the boss is. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I've got, like I said, I've got uh, maybe 10 of them on the yard. I'm trying to think right off the top of my head. We'll just say 10. That 10 sounds good. Um, and the only time mine make any racket is if I'm loading up dogs, if they know I'm going hunting and I'm loading dogs and maybe I don't pick them or whatever. Uh, in the morning time, at feeding time, they get a little rowdy, but they're not, they're not overly rowdy for feed as much as some other dogs are. Uh, and if they seek game. Like, I live in the woods, like I said, way back in the back of a soybean field. So, you know, we might have a raccoon scoot through the ditch on the front side of the yard or a possum go down on the back side of the yard where my privacy fence is or, you know, whatever. It might be, you know, something scoot by that they see, feral cat or whatever. And like I said, they keep most of all that stuff beat back pretty good. But occasionally we'll have something come through. But other than that, I don't have no... I don't have I don't have noise issues at all. Like those cur dog puppies I got are the most rowdy thing on my yard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't, you know, I don't. I just they just know. I mean, they work. They know who the boss is. You know, I give them a job, and of course, you know, I don't hunt them as much in the summertime as I used to um because i'm spending a lot of my summertime and so forth uh training client dogs etc but i mean our hunting season is in now um so they'll get to do some retrieving work dove season's in early goose season's in a bow season for deer has come in um you know i'll get a few blood track calls sometimes i take them sometimes i don't because that's is usually ends up being more aggravation than what it's worth um but just as soon as it starts cooling off and and they open up varmints, rabbits, raccoons, possums, all that, then, you know, usually, you know, I might take a couple days during the week, during the morning before I go out there and start training because my business slows down a lot in the fall because everybody wants their dog home for hunting season, even if it's not ready. You know, they just, they feel like they're doing their dog a a favor by pulling it from the trainer and carrying it home so i'll have half the volume of training dogs in the in the fall and winter than i normally do and so i'll get up in the morning and i'll hunt them we'll go find some brush piles and some holes or some briars or run rabbits in or whatnot and then i'll come back put them up feed everybody spray kennels and we'll start the day training and you know just 
depending on what's going on, uh, we don't hunt pigs as hard as we used to. Um, you know, we used to hunt pigs five days a week. I mean, we used to hunt pigs a lot. Um, but what's happened is, is the pig popularity, again, the commercialization of hunting, the pig popularity has turned everybody around here who was a landowner that had wild, wild boar that we were hunting. They turned everything into outfit businesses because they can get some city guy to come down here and shoot a wild boar on a Saturday and they'll pay $300 a day or whatever. So instead of letting Chris come in there for free to kill him, let's charge this man and make a little dab of money. Right. So, so that's how we got hardcore into the bear hunting was the pig hunting started slowing down. I mean, we still, we still got access to it, but nothing like we used to. I mean, we used to kill between trapping and dogs. We used to kill 200, 300 pigs a year. Um, and now, like I said, you know, we just a third of that or whatever, but, um, with that being said, you know, we got into the bear hunting some years ago and started doing that. But then, you know, it didn't take but so many terriers to jump in a bear's mouth to realize this ain't going to work for them. We got to go back. We got to go back to hunting smaller stuff. Right. So, but, uh, but anyway, like I said, they, uh, I mean, if you've looked and dug into them, my terriers retrieve birds. They flush upland birds. They fetch ducks. I've hunted, I've hunted in the ice with my terriers and shot ducks in the ice with my terriers. So they do everything that they're supposed to do and we still do some earthwork. Um, we hadn't done as much, like I said, this spring and summer, been busy with training, but I don't know what happened to our groundhogs around here. I've got a few smaller females that, that will work groundhogs. My males won't. My males won't fit the groundhog den. Um, but I got a few smaller females that we work groundhogs with, but the groundhogs just kind of, I don't know, they just kind of disappeared. Mm. So, and then if we get calls for fox issues, in the spring when the foxes are stealing chickens from people and whatnot we will work that and so on and i use them for trap line dogs uh, a lot of people use them for trap line dogs for locating game and so forth because their dogs their dogs won't kill the game um but you know there's no fur market anymore so i don't care about quality of, of fur as far as sending my dog down a trail and go down there and he sailed onto a 30 pound bobcat or something um i don't, I don't worry about that because you know there's there's no money in the fur market so you know if you grab that joker and kill it and tear a hole in him or whatever it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't bother me because i'm not you know i'm gonna make the money off of it anyway so but i mean they get to see all kinds of all kinds of stuff uh we caught a bobcat last year in an old car in the woods at the back of my farm um at the back of the property line which is several hundred yards through the woods there's an old car that somebody i guess in my family back then you know you didn't they didn't care to the junkyard you just pulled it in the woods with a tractor and left it and it just sat there you know yeah and, and the bobcat had made a den inside of it had kind of burrowed up underneath the frame of this old car and my bull terrier and uh one of my uh one of my terriers snatched the bobcat out and killed it and you know so they we do a lot of junk hunting i'm not a very formal guy when it comes to hunting unless we are you know like with the bears for example you know when we're bear hunting we're absolutely bear hunting let's pull them off of whatever they may be after if they're after something different or whatever but if i'm just out here on a saturday and i'm just hunting hell most of the time i don't even carry a gun you know we go to the woods and whatever y'all catch and kill is what we hunted today mm -hmm. and and like i said they they 
catch a raccoon in a brush pile and drag him out or a bobcat or maybe they jump a, a coyote they jumped a coyote last year in the snow and run that joker so far i had to get in the truck go down the road a mile to go get them um so you don't you don't ever know but because i utilize them for everything and train them formally to be versatile terriers and not just heathens that you stick on something um you know they they're they're pretty content and easily manageable but again that's the difference in me and a lot of people who buy them you know because i tell everybody when they're looking them you know teaching them just to come back and be loaded into dog box ain't training them and yes that works because they hunted and you were able to get him loaded back up and go home but that ain't training them and so you know a lot of people don't realize what they're biting off because i mean i've had since i started doing this full time for a living when it got to be where so much so i left work and started doing this was about six years ago or so um i've had i don't know man probably 30 or 40 dogs that have been returned and or found on the internet either dumped at a dog shelter because they were too hot to handle or sold via craigslist i get somebody say hey man this guy right here He's, he's selling terrier puppies for $300. And I'll dig into it and find out that, you know, he, he bought the dog solely to breed my blood, solely to have my bloodline on his yard. And then once the puppies were gone, he dumped the dog or, or whatever. You know, just dogs that are just too hot to handle, you know, attacking the, the wife's house dog, killing the neighbor's chickens or whatnot. I had one of my wire hair dogs. Um, I sent one of my wire hairs to Texas. That litter is, I think they're around two years old, maybe a little over two years old now, maybe two and a half years old now. And I sent this dog to a boy in Texas with the understanding that he was going to hunt the dog. And he had a terrier buyer friend of mine who vouched for him and said, yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's going to use the dog, et cetera, et cetera. And he sent me a message stating that he needed to rehome this 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 wire hair dog and so i asked him what the problem was what the deal was and uh apparently the dog was killing sheep and you know the more i kind of started asking questions and digging it was a matter of the dog didn't have the appropriate training number one so there was no control on the dog so again the overwhelming prey drive that i breed had overtook the fact that he was not offering up enough work and structure and so from what i gather he was tearing up the kennel because he sent me pictures of it in the kennel and i saw the kennel and the kennel looked like some little kid had been wiring holes all in it you know or he was just eating chain link like dental floss <laughs> and um so anyway the dog uh I sent the boy a little bit of money because I don't ever buy these dogs back. I take them back. I shouldn't have to buy your problem that you caused mm -hmm. when I warned you ahead of time. But I gave him some money, and I sent a dog hauler out there to get the dog. And uh, the dog hauler picked up the dog, and I don't know, within maybe a day, I think maybe a day, that dog hauler sent me a message and said, man, this dog is a monster. And I said, good. That's what I want. You know, because I didn't know to the degree he was talking, because I didn't know nothing no more than what the boy was trying to tell me. So the dog hauler goes down the Gulf Coast and comes up and ends up in Orangeburg, South Carolina, down there where they hold the World Coon Hunt. 
and uh, he was actually delivering two coon dog puppies to somebody. And uh, that morning, about six o'clock in the morning, he sends me a message and says, how much do you want for this dog? And I said, you mean for sale? And he said, yeah. And so I, li- I, I still got the messages because I screenshotted them. Um, but I said, man, a dog like this with some training and his breeding and what he's worth, I said, this is a $7,500 dog. I said, now, granted, I know he's probably not worth that because he's not had what he needed as far as training and getting him there and so forth. I said, but a dog like this can produce, you know, in a lifetime, $75,000 worth of puppies, you know? So this is this is an investment for me to get back here and get him whipped back into shape and get him where he needs to be and then utilize him as a stud dog. Because if this is the kind of dog that he is, if you put some control on that dog, that dog will be... I mean, that dog will be a machine. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, I sent all that to him in a message explaining to him, you know, what this dog would actually be worth. And he called me. Well, I didn't know that the reason he was doing that was he was setting me up to see how much I would save so he knew how much money he had to pay me because the dog tore a plexiglass divider off of an aluminum crate and then tore open a door to get out and when he was handing the coon dog puppies to the guy in south carolina my dog knocked them down and took off and was not seen ever again oh wow so the guy that was getting the coon dog puppies called me maybe a week later and said the last time he was seen was 30 miles south of there jeez yep and it was because that dog had been contained for so long that he didn't want to be contained, so he tore up that. And, I mean, this was an aluminum crate. Like, this was not some Walmart dog kennel. This was a professional dog hauler's transportation, you know. And he tore this up because he's like, I'm getting out of here. I'm, I'm ready to hit woods. He had no structure. He had no, no control. He had obviously not been getting enough work. I mean, he was killing livestock in Texas, and Lord knows in Texas is not a place you want to go around killing somebody's livestock. No. And so, so with that being said, in the appropriate hands, yeah, like here, <laughs> in the appropriate hands, those dogs are great. I don't have no problems. I, I don't have livestock killing issues or neighborhood chicken killing issues or none of that because my dogs understand who the boss is, and they do what I tell them to do, and they do it at a high level and they get put up they don't try to tear the doors off the kennel or nothing crazy they wait till their turn but this is exactly go this goes exactly back to the first thing we talked about when i said how peculiar i am about sorting through buyers and making sure that they understand that look i am breeding a tip-top hunting dog Mm -hmm. are you a tip-top hunter are you you know i'm not looking a person that hunts 28 times a year in 365 days because that is absolutely not going to work yeah. I'm not looking somebody who says I, I jog a lot. I'm going to carry it jogging. You know, I get people, I've had this so many times, people that live like in Colorado, and they see these dogs, and Wikipedia has told them, oh, they're great for active families. I was like, what are you going to do when this chucker catches a bear in Colorado while you're on your run? <laughs> yeah, what, what are you going to do? You know, like they have no clue. Yeah. They, have, they, they, they don't understand. It's just like the argument with the bulldog world. It's all in how they're raised. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like that argument. Because it, it, whatever you do and how you raise it does has no bearing on that dog's genetics. If his genetics says that he should be this, then that's what he is. Now, you can suppress that 
and you can ruin that, you know, in various manners. But typically speaking, just like with, you know, with the terriers, you know, they are, they're pissy little animals and, you know, they're going to look to grab hold of something. It may be another dog, it may be the neighbor's cat, whatever. So just like retrievers, Labradors, you know, they're always toting around flip-flops in somebody's bedroom shoes and, you know, whatnot. They're retrievers. That's what his genetics telling to do. So when you've got high-end, high-drive hunting dogs and part of what they do is grab hold of stuff, if you don't satisfy that or you can't control that, guess what's going to happen? Right. They're going to grab hold of something. Yeah. So, so yeah, so it is, and of course, like I said, this all comes full circle in conversation right back to this is part of what my business is, getting dogs back, people sending dogs back. I can tell you so many stories of people sending dogs back, why they've sent them back. Um, I sent a dog to a lady in Texas uh, this October, I think it'll be seven years ago. And I still have the voicemail in my phone, and I have told this story before. And, uh, and of course, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, you got to prove it, but I've got the voicemail still in my phone to this day. Um, but the lady called me wanting a female, an imported female, uh, terrier. She had some American bred males from a kennel that sells a lot of puppies, but they don't have nothing on their yard worth of bowl of dog food. But that's beside the point. Uh, and so she calls me. And says that your, you know, your name was given to me by a bunch of people to buy an imported female to breed my males to. And I said, well, that's strike one. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, first off, I'm not looking to make everybody money off of all the work I've put into this with the dogs I've imported and what I've got. And it's obvious all you're looking to do is sell puppies. And she was like, well, you know, I've, I've got these two males and, you know, she went on and on and on and, and as much as I love the state of Texas, you know, you can always tell when you're dealing with somebody from the state of Texas. <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't tell this lady nothing. She, she knew everything, couldn't tell her nothing, whatnot. My dogs is bad ass. I got them from so and so. And I was like, ma'am, I said, you don't own nothing even remotely close to what I own. If you bought dogs from there, I can assure you. I know I can assure you. So she gets mad. She hangs up. About three, four weeks later, calls back again. Same thing again. This time, she had uh, took some pictures of her dogs and made a cell phone video and texted it to me while she was on the phone so that I could see her dogs. Well, her dogs were, they looked like giraffes. Uh, they, they were not very well put together. They were not real stout built. They were spindly legs, long spindly snouts. You know, they, they almost looked like miniature Dobermans and not terriers. You know, they did, They just weren't, you know, robust and looked like they could take some punishment. They were just not very well built, in my opinion. And then the video come through, and in the video was this dog catching like a 40-pound pig. And I said, lady, I said, my 16-week-old puppies catch a 40-pound pig. You know, like, and this is supposed to be your, you know, top shelf stud dog. And I said, let me explain to you something. I said, what's going to happen is, is if you buy a dog from me and you breed them, them stud dogs there to that dog and you produce a bunch of average Joe puppies, let's say, maybe, maybe, maybe the, they take more after the dad than the mama or whatever. Either way, they just turn out to be average Joe puppies. You know who's going to get the blame? Yeah. Me. Yeah. Me. 
you know, I, I tell you what, that damn dog from Chris won't no good. I tell you what, you know, and that's what's going to happen. I said, this is why I'm not selling you a dog because you don't have no idea. And so she ends up getting off the phone yet again. Well, another month passes and she she calls back yet again. And same story, but this time very much more cooperative. I don't know who she was talking to, but basically somebody was like, look, this is what you got to do. And so we talked for a right good while, and I explained to her, like, look, you know, you, I don't think you realize what you were asking for. And I don't think that you do enough to even satisfy one of my dogs and so on and so forth. So we go through this spiel for a while. And I said, look, I said, I don't have nothing for sale. I said, if I sold anything, it would be this one dog right here. I said, I've been waiting on her to come in heat. She's not coming in heat. You can get her and try her. Um, this is what I want for. You know, here's the deal. You know, like th this cut and dry. This is what it is. If you want the dog to try it, see if she'll come in heat for you. She hasn't been in heat for me. And, of course, in the universe that is my world, the way things work for me, that dog got there and come in heat a week after landing there, won't you know? Um, and next thing I know, she's selling thousand dollar puppies off of this dog. Of course, has no, no idea what she's doing. But the kicker to this story is I carried the dog to the vet, done all the vet work, flew the dog from Raleigh to Dallas and Dallas to Houston. And Houston is a big animal hub for a lot of airline cargo for animals going east and west across the country. Mm -hmm. You know, dogs, cats, birds, rabbits, whatever, going back and forth. Well, when that dog landed in Dallas, they loaded that plane with the animal cargo that was connecting in Houston to go elsewhere. And during the flight from Dallas to Houston, which I can imagine being aboard about an hour or so, that dog eat her airline approved kennel and got out and then eat into every kennel and cage on that plane and killed everything living in that plane. <laughs> and I still have the voicemail in my phone with her explaining that. And and the whole, the whole nine yards got, again, got evidence. And so I called her and I said, uh, Stephanie, she said, yeah. I said, what's going on? She said, well, they're doing an investigation right now. And, you know, she's kind of a little bit uptight. Uh, she said they got to look into it, this, that, and the other, and right now they're washing out the plane. I said, washing out the plane? She said, yeah. She said, yeah, they're washing out the plane. <laughs> and so I, I talked to her for a few more minutes, and we started to kind of wind down our conversation. I said, uh, Stephanie, I said, now do you understand why we had the phone calls that we had? Yes, sir. I said, now do you understand that you don't own what I own? Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. I said, the dog hasn't even made it to your yard, and you've already got a problem. She said, yes, sir. I said, now are we on the same page? Yes, sir. <laughs> I said, okay. I said, you don't own what I own. Yeah. So, and the thing is, is that dog under supervision would have been no problem. Right. But you lock that dog in a room with nobody there, which essentially is the belly of the plane, cargo bay of the plane, luggage bay, whatever you want to call it. Lock that dog in there, and then, of course, strap down every living thing next to it, and then fly, you know? And, of course, the airlines probably don't know what these breeds are and, and what they're like or whatnot, but I, I got a whole collection. This is something uh, that some people that know me and know my dogs know, but when I bring dogs over from Europe, some of those dogs that I get are, are so hard and so hot 
that when they get to Germany, before flying out of Germany to come to America, they have to build them special crates to send them to me. So I've got an entire collection of six and seven hundred dollar German handcrafted wooden crates back there with locking doors and hinges and you know funnels to pour the food into the crate because you don't want to open the door. So they got a water hose with a funnel nailed to the outside and you pour the food in and it runs down the hose into a bowl that's nailed to the floor. So and you know and they would call this crowd would call. And they'd call in the middle of the night because of the time zone difference. And they'd say, Mr. Phillips, and I'd say, yes, sir, uh, you you have another monster. And I said, oh, yeah. Uh, may, may we use the card again? I said, yes, sir. So they kept my debit card on file. And they would charge me an extra $600 for basically a three-foot by three-foot, uh, three-quarter inch plywood, you know, screwed together box with doors with locks and hinges and big old holes screwed in there for air and they'd have a, a funnel nailed to one side and a funnel nailed to the other side and in the bottom they'd have a little bucket screwed to the floor and a little bowl screwed to the floor and one was for water and one was for food and they Hannibal lecture that joker to the house <laughs> oh that's crazy so and so I tell people that and you know I had a dog um that came here from over there that had to be shipped in a metal box and I got a call from Chicago and he had he had started tearing up his crate from Germany to America and he landed in Chicago and they had to catch him <laughs> they had to catch him and put him in a metal box and this was another like I said it was about three foot by three foot box that thing man that thing weighed 200 pounds but it was it was a metal box with jailhouse doors that locked with a key and um and they called me and said, you know, hey, you know, your dog's been a bit much. We got to, we got to put him in a, a special crate now. How do you want to pay for this? I said, I don't want to pay for this. Like he's already here in America. They said, well, we got to get him to you in North Carolina. I said, well, that's fine. I said, but can I just, can I just leave the, the box there? Like I don't, I don't need the big giant metal box. And and it, and the box was a thousand dollars for this metal crate. Oh wow. And uh, I told him, I said, I, I ain't paying it. Send him on. I'll leave it in the cargo facility. They can send it back to you in Chicago. And that's what they did. So, but but that's why I tell people when I said, you, you don't you don't own what I own. <laughs> you know? yeah. And the thing is, is, is I could get that dog out with my youngin. And, and hey, my youngin could handle him on a leash in the yard. You know, all that stuff, you know, any of my dogs could, could get them out, walk them up down the driveway, make them sit, make them stay the whole nine yards, but in the wrong hands with not enough work and the wrong people and so forth, they will absolutely become a lawsuit. Yeah, it's a testament to uh, really understanding the difference between a functional pet and a working dog. And I think there's so many people... I've I've had a lot of conversations that people get mad at what I'm saying. I say, no, you don't have a working dog. You just don't. I mean, yep. and I and I would never own a dog like that because it's not my nature. It's not what I would do with it. And that that goes back to what you were saying about everybody getting along and yeah. you know fighting amongst each other and so forth is is you know. For me, you know, a lot of my disdain for the dog world and whatnot is is based around respect. Yeah. 
it's just respect. Like you, you know, and 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 I'm getting mad because, you know, I'm talking about for my own self. Like you know, you should be able to look at again the eye test and look and spend some time on different hunting dog pages and then be like, holy smokes, mm-hmm. this man right here has got it going on. Yeah, you know, like it should be obvious. Mm-hmm. It should be obvious. And again, I don't even post a lot of the crazy stuff that would definitely be eye-opening. Um, and, you know, and again, like I said, I, when I try to talk to people, I try to explain to them, like, yes, I understand that you had this kind of dog, but no, you've not had this kind of dog, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and of course, it, you know, it comes off as me being an asshole because I try to tell them, you, you don't, you don't not understand. Yeah. Yes, maybe you owned, you know, let's just say, yes, you owned an AKC German Shorthair, but have you owned one of these here yeah. that, you know, hits a boar so hard that she breaks her jaw into, you know? So it's just, it's a completely, completely different thing. And, and like I said, it's, a, it's about respect. Like, people should see that and understand, like, what it takes because, again, I'm, my whole entire life, it is, it revolves around keeping maintaining satisfying and working this type of dog so it's every day all day everything is in a preventative nature my kennels are built so they can't fight with each other you know if they're sitting in there let's just say I, I, i'm gone for two days let's say I'm, I, I had to take a road trip go pick up a dog out of state at another airport i'm gone for two days i've got somebody staying here taking care of the place you know, my kennels are built with um, plywood divider brackets. So I've got sheets of plywood that slide into a metal bracket so that this dog can't see the next dog, can't see the next dog, can't see the next dog, so that they can't fight through the holes in the wire and so on. Every little detail of what I do is all based around preparedness for, you know, mess to go awry, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything, how, how, I mean, how my dog boxes are built on my truck, you know, as far as how many holes, how many dividers, you know, no, I can't put these three males in there together and ride two hours to go somewhere. Now, I can put them in separate holes and put them on the ground and they'll hunt together, but they're not going to sit side by side for two hours and box and ride together. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. there's always every little thing, how I feed, every little detail is all goes into maintaining this operation and this type of dog so the average joe who's looking a high-end hunt dog has no idea of all these little details and so when he gets you know eight nine ten twelve months into it calls me up says i can't get my dog to quit trying to attack my labrador and this that and the other i said you're raising it in the house put it in a pen you know you can get it out let it run all day in the yard play with it fence in your backyard whatever you got to do but you know this dog is looking at an outlet and the fat labrador in the house is this outlet <laughs> you know yeah. and so yeah, there's always it's, it's all different types of things and people you know when you try to explain to people every little thing is is looked at how like i said how i travel you know how i maintain them kennel them how much i work them when i work them who can be worked with who you know because most of mine will hunt together fine and i don't have no issues but when that hunting is over with you may have two females that got in a fight two years ago and they remember that day two years ago 
Yeah. And, and and so those two females have to be snatched up and put in put in separate holes in the dog box in the truck, and you get your next dogs out or whatever. But you have to know all this kind of stuff, and you have to understand all this kind of stuff so that you don't have problems. Yeah, definitely. But, I mean, like I said, these dogs, these high-end type dogs like this, you know, they, they can be as, as good as gold with people. And, and you know, like I said, I got a nine-year-old son that plays with them, whatnot. I have no human aggression issues, no nothing. But, but you let that dog not get worked or not get used or you let that dog get out of the kennel and maybe I'm not home and my kid and my wife are home and that dog get loose something is coming back to it yeah so i mean it's just that's just what it is um i had this is another story kind of tied to that before i had this guy uh start welding my kennels i had bought some kennels and had them shipped here out of california and i really really liked the kennels but they didn't last me as long as i wanted them last they were powder coated welded wire but they had uh, farmhouse-style doors, you know, the double doors. Splits in the middle and open so you can lean over the bottom half and right. put food and shut it. Well, these kennels, like I said, were really nice because all I would do is open the top door and leave the bottom door. And so the dogs never made no attempt to try to get out, nothing crazy. They knew, sit, wait your turn, I'll, I'll put your food down. So randomly one day, apparently, I must not have completely latched the top part of a door on one of my terriers this has been several years ago three four five years ago and um i got out there that morning and was feeding and i was making my way down every kennel because like i said i got a lot of kennels and so i'm going from door to door to door to door and i look down the line and i see one of the doors is slightly open and i'm like oh my god you know <laughs> my heart sank and so i walk down there and i look and i'm like son of a bitch you know <laughs> like yeah. he's not so I went ahead and continued feeding, and while I was feeding, I was calling his name real loud. And again, I live way back, you know, in the back of the woods and whatnot. So I'm calling, and I know a few people. I've, I've only got a couple of neighbors that kind of live several hundred yards from me in different directions. And so I'm like, what in the world is this guy doing? I'm hollering this dog's name and hollering this dog's name. And I'm going along and I'm feeding and my heart's are racing. So I get done feeding and I jump in the truck and I ride up my path. And I'm calling and I'm calling and I'm calling. I drive into another path where I've actually got some farmland that, that is tillable farmland. So I'm driving down the farm path where the tractors enter my land. And I'm calling and I'm calling and I'm calling nothing. I turn around and I ride up the road. And I'm like, please don't let me find this boy in the road. So I look, don't find nothing, come back down my driveway. And at this point, I've probably spent at least 30 minutes at least looking for this dog. So I come back down the driveway and I stop and I call and I call and I call. And all of a sudden, I look up there ahead of me and here he comes. <laughs> and he is as wet as he can be. And I said, get your tail over here, boy. You know, and I'm fussing at him. And it was my fault because I yeah. didn't completely latch his door. It's me trying to finish up in the dark again, you know. And so I pick him up, throw him in the dog box. I drive down there and I put him in his pen and I latch the door and put his food down whatnot. He's in there. And when I got done, I looked and I had blood all over my, my arms and my shirt. So I walked back down there again and I looked at him and he was soaking wet. I took the water hose and hit him with the water hose and what he was so wet from was whatever he had killed. He was saturated with blood. Wow. It was in his hair 
so much so that you didn't see that it was red. He was just soaking wet. And when that water started running through that black terrier hair, the water coming out was red. And I was like, I don't know what he got a hold of or where he was at, but whatever it was, lost. (laughs) So that's the kind of stuff that happens. If you do not cross cross the T's and dot the I's and everything every day the same way and have a plan. And like I said, so many people that have these dogs and this breed, and again, they're not all the same. That's one of my biggest things I preach, just like we've been talking about with the bird dogs. There are varying levels of quality within these dogs because, again, what happens? They become popular. Everybody goes to breeding them. Nobody selects for certain qualities. You know, you, I mean, I see lots of these terriers that come here. I used to hold, and I still do it from time to time, a terrier event in the winter here. And we do various different things that they're supposed to do, retrieving on land and water. And we used to bore pen, and we do some tunnel work, like working underground and so forth. And I see a lot of dogs that are not worth, not worth breeding at all. At all. But, of course... People breed them because they own them. That's, that's the way dog breeding works. They breed them because they own them, okay? So when when I talk about this and I, and I say that they're not all the same, that's absolutely the case. I mean, there are big-time, you know, master hunter Labradors that are phenomenal retrieving dogs, and then there's yard dogs that chew up the front porch. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, so so there is varying quality. So not all yacht terriers are like this, yeah. and not all wire hairs are like this, and so on. And so, you know, that goes back to, you know, puppy selling and so forth to certain people. You know, I got one. Oh, no, you, you don't have one. You know, where did you get it? Oh, yeah. And they tell me, oh, oh, yeah, you don't have the same thing. No. Well, now, you know, and they'll send me pictures and whatnot, and we'll talk about it. And I was like, man, you, I, I don't think you're ready for this. I don't, I don't think you're ready for this. And we'll move on. And, of course, they'll get mad. They'll call the next person, and then the next person will sell them a dog because um, that happens every time. I had a boy that called me from Florida one time, and I told him no. He called me back 30 minutes later and had bought one and wanted me to help him train it over the phone. <laughs> He was like, how do I get it to do this? I said, so was I right? He said, yeah. He said, the next man that I called sold me one. I said, well, see there, I told you. And he was not mad at me for telling him no, because I told him. I told a guy the other day, I said, I can guarantee you, this guy was in West Virginia. And somehow he was in charge of an airport or a series of airports in West Virginia, and they were having deer problems. And the deer were getting on the flight line. And, and becoming a problem with planes coming and going. And what he wanted was to, the main thing was for a blood tracking dog. He wanted to shoot the deer on the flight line and then have the dog go find them and they could utilize the meat. Well, I don't sell my dogs for blood tracking because most folks that are looking blood tracking dogs, although these dogs can blood track, these, all these European dogs can blood track, that is the last thing on the list of things that they're supposed to do. So, in other words, you're taking a dog that's meant to hunt things, go find things, retrieve things, engage and kill things, and you're doing away with all of that and just getting him out to do a few blood tracks. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, and so it makes no sense. So you're buying way more dog than what you need, yeah. okay? 
So, so I explained that to him, and I told him, I said, yes, this breed can blood track. Yes, all the European breeds are, you know, pretty good at blood tracking game and so forth. I said, but these dogs were hunting dogs. Blood tracking is at the very back of the list of what these dogs should be used for. So if you're not going to satisfy all this other stuff, then you're going to have a problematic dog because you're not going to do enough deer killing to keep this dog over here happy. And so... He said, well, I'm glad you told me that. I said, look, I said, I'll bet you the deed to my house right now. The next man you call will sell you a dog. I mm. guarantee you. And and he said, I ain't going to call nobody because after talking to you, I've done decided I ain't going to find something else. And I said, well, I'm glad at least you've done that. I said, because nine out of ten people that I tell no are going to turn right back around and call the very next man that they can find on the Internet, and they're going to get a dog. Yeah. You know, whether it's good or bad or whether they think it's good or bad, they're going to get a dog. So, but he, at least he was honest. But yeah, that boy in Florida, he called me and I told him no. I said, you, you're not doing enough work to satisfy one of my dogs. I said, but, but you can call whoever you want to. I said, the next man you call, he'll take you money. And sure enough, <laughs> 30 minutes later, he calls back. Now, how do I get this dog to do this? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but that welcome to the world of hunting dogs in America. Now yeah. you see why they're in the shape they're in.